Anyway, if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Acts. We are continuing on in our series, We Are Witnesses, and today focused on the subject, power, possessions, and the truth. One of the things that Satan would love to have us believe is that he isn't real, that he's just a a force or a symbol for evil. But the fact is that Satan is a fallen angel. He was created by God to the highest place of the angelic rank. His name was Lucifer, and he rebelled against God in pride and in beauty, seeking to become God himself. And God said that then that rebellion got him cast out of heaven, along with about a third of the heavenly host, the angelic beings who followed him in his deception. And they've been cast to earth, and they are the demonic host. They are real. That's why Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians 6, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is real. He hates God and he hates God's people and he hates the church. That's why when people live for God, you can expect retaliation. He does everything possible to disrupt that witness. And that's what you find going on here as we come into the latter part of chapter 4 and into the story of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. Satan had already tried the outer approach of attacking the church by the Sanhedrin, getting them threatened and trying to get them to stop and silence the witness. It didn't work. In fact, they only got more bold. So now he's going to try a more lethal attack. He's going to try from within, working through Christians, to try to disrupt and silence the unity, the power, and the witness of the church. Here's how Luke the doctor recorded these events as they happened in this amazing and startling passage of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, 
The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Amazing. Let's pray together. Father, you are zealous for your church. You have called us to be witnesses, and you act when that witness is threatened. You don't spare us from every attack from without. In fact, persecution has only been used by you to strengthen your church and to make it more bold in its witness. It is the attack from within that has been the most lethal. And so I pray today, God, as we learn from this account, as we learn about how you used power and possessions to advance the truth, Satan sought to use power and possessions to stop the truth. God, may you speak to us today and encourage all of our hearts and help us to see the importance of living in the truth. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. It is the most serious attack on the human body, the attack from within. You know, it's bad enough that we have to fight off the attacks from the outside, viruses, bacteria, allergies, toxins, various injuries, and they take their toll. But the attacks from the inside can be even more lethal. That's what makes things like cancer such a threat. Cancer, in many ways, is the body attacking itself. And those attacks from within must be dealt with swiftly, aggressively, and completely, or they will destroy the body. And what's true in the physical realm, true, 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 what's true in the physical realm, puberty is a terrible thing. <laughs> what's true in the physical realm is even just as true or more so in the spiritual realm. We are the body of Christ, and that body is a constantly attacked from the outside by threats and persecution which God uses most times to make the body stronger. But it's the attacks from within the body that are the most lethal, the members of the body attacking itself. And Satan wants to use those things to weaken the body and destroy its witness. And that's what makes the deception by Ananias and Sapphira so dangerous. The church had already withstood the attacks from the outside. You remember? The Sanhedrin came arrested Peter and John, threatened them, and told them to be silent. Don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But the people prayed, and it only emboldened their witness, and so the gospel began to spread. So Satan tries another approach. It's not the attack from without. Now it's going to be the attack from within. By getting a couple of believers 
to undermine the church's unity and witness by introducing lies and deception. The church at this point in its history was strong and vibrant and unified. Luke said in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I've heard it said that this was the establishment of communism or socialism, where everybody pools their resources, nobody wrote resources, nobody owns anything, and a strong central government determines what everybody gets. People, that's ridiculous. This was not the establishment of communism or socialism or any political system or philosophy. This was real Christians responding to real needs. You remember, there was poverty, there was economic and social sanctions, there was famine, and there was political unrest going on in this day that was making jobs hard to come by. People were being ostracized from their families. They were being cut off from their ability to work. No one would hire them. And they were also having people sanctioning against them in their shops and businesses when they turned their hearts over to Jesus. There was real need going on here. These people had no place to work, no place to get food, no one to help them. And so as believers, they looked to the church. And there were some people there of means who from time to time were willing to sell property that they had, to sell a house that they had, and they brought the money and they donated it. Some gave all that they got from the proceeds. Some gave part of what they gave. But one couple decided to sell their property, give part of it, and lie that they had given it all. So Ananias and Sapphira conspired together to hatch a plan that would gain them power and position and recognition and the pretense of being all in. You see, they had seen what Barnabas had become as a leader. He was the real deal. He goes on later in the book of Acts to be one of Paul's traveling companions, a mentor of the man who writes half the New Testament. And they thought, man, Barnabas gave money, and out of his generosity, he was put in leadership. And they thought, we can have that kind of power. We can have that kind of position. We can have those kind of possessions. And we don't even have to give it all. But it was a lie. It was a testing of God, and God saw right through it. Sin, led by a quest for power and possessions, was threatening the unity and witness of the church. So God acted swiftly, aggressively, and completely to remove this cancerous sin from his body. Because we're reminded in this portion of the book of Acts that God defends his witness against every evil attack. How does he do it? He does it with the truth. He uses truth to expose the lies. He uses truth to answer the tests. God defends his witness by using truth to expose the lies. Luke recorded it like this in chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart 
that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapping up his body, carried him out, and buried him. I don't know if you happened to see the article this week that was in Wednesday's paper in the East Bay Times, front page. Stanford study, you should stop lying to your four-year-old. That was the headline. Even young kids can detect a fib and a fibber. An article by Emily DeRoy. Now here's what she wrote. Pretty much every parent of a young child has told the occasional white lie to preserve his or her sanity. You might, for example, say, I went to the bank and leave out the fact that you stopped for frozen yogurt to avoid the inevitable meltdown that comes when they realize they missed out on a treat. Harmless, right? Maybe not. According to a new Stanford study, kids as young as four are pretty skilled at spotting sins of omission and then judging the adults who perpetrate them. Now, according to the lead researcher at Stanford, Hyawan Guion, because omission can, lead either, can either be useful or misleading, depending on the context, Guion said, parents and educators should be mindful of children's sensitivity to informativeness and understand when omitting information is helpful and when it can be a sin. I'm thinking, they're writing this in the paper? So, if you throw the frozen yogurt away as evidence before you pick up your kid from school, you're probably fine. They're not mind readers yet. But if your kid spots a yogurt-stained napkin in your car, he or she may be less likely to buy into the story that your time away was full of just boring errands. You see, it appears that God has given even four-year-olds the ability to detect if they're being lied to. Why should it surprise anyone that God gave that ability to the apostles when it was a lie that was threatening the very witness of the church? God used the truth to expose the lie. The Holy Spirit was being lied to, and the Holy Spirit made that known to Peter. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to God. One of the most powerful affirmations of the deity of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. Satan has filled your heart to lie to God, Peter tells him, and you thought you could get away with that. Lies, all lies, are a direct assault on the person of God who is truth. The Father is the truth, Jesus is the truth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and he uses lies to assault and discredit the character of God. 
and to undermine or compromise the power and effectiveness who those who want to live in the truth with God. Remember what Jesus told the religious leaders in John 8 when they refused to believe to the truth he was telling them? John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All lies originate with him. Do you realize that whenever I lie, or whenever you lie, Satan is using your mouth to, for his purposes to advance his agenda against God? Every time you lie, Satan is using your mouth to further his agenda against God and the truth. And whenever someone lies to you, you are hearing Satan speak. It's his native language, Jesus said. And he is assaulting God and God's truth whenever you hear a lie. If lies go unchecked, they spread, and Satan uses lies to erode trust and unity in every relationship where lies are born. Satan was trying to destroy the trust, unity, and witness of the church. And if this sin wasn't exposed, Ananias and Sapphira would have been put on a plane of leadership and respect that Barnabas was put on. And can you imagine how the church could have been led astray if it had been Ananias and Sapphira instead of Barnabas working with Paul? God acted to protect his body and his witness. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died instantly struck dead and great fear seized all who heard what had happened then some young men came forward wrapped up his body carried him out and buried him ananias didn't have to sell anything and when he sold it peter said to him wasn't it yours you could have kept back some you didn't have to give it all you didn't have to give any but the problem was you sold the property and you came and lied about it Ananias and Sapphira thought they could tell a lie, get away with it, sell some property, keep most for themselves, give some to the church, and be considered as those like Barnabas who gave it all. They thought they could get away with it all, but they got away with nothing. And Peter asked him, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied to God. People, Satan is a master deceiver. He hates God, and he hates God's people. And he's always looking for someone he can use for his purpose. You see, that's why when Peter wrote about this later in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he said, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Someone preferably in the church that he can use to distort and discredit the truth and defame God and destroy the church's witness. So the question is, how do you keep from falling prey to this? How do you keep this from happening to you? 
How do you recognize the lies of what's going on so that you don't fall prey to his deception and ends up being used by the evil one to damage your family, your marriage, your church through lies? Well, you have to know, love, and obey the truth. You have to live in the truth. God's word is truth. Do you remember what King David wrote in Psalm 119 about how a young person, or any person for that matter, could keep their way on the straight, could keep pure, could keep right? Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person, or any person, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Look at this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount with all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. See, Satan is counting on the fact that you and I won't do that. We won't hide God's word in our heart. We won't rejoice in it as great riches. We won't meditate on it and consider his ways. We won't delight in his decrees, and we will neglect his word. People, I shudder. I don't say this judgmentally, but I shudder of the number of Christians I meet who have gone a day without reading God's word. Or two days. Or three days. And you wonder why we are so easily picked off and used by the evil one. Because we don't spot the lies. Because we don't have the truth hiding in our heart every day. Satan's a master deceiver. Jesus knew this would happen, so he prayed for us. You remember the night before he went to the cross at the Last Supper? John 17, verse 13. I'm coming to you now. He's praying to the Father. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, protect them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. You see, Jesus knew that we couldn't go out as witnesses into the world without the truth coursing, coursing through our lives, or Satan would start picking us off and trying to use us to stop and halt the witness. So Jesus said, I gave them the truth. Now let them live in that truth. You see, the most vulnerable people that Satan uses are those whose lives are not fully surrendered to God and set apart for the truth. Ananias and Sapphira were two of those people. Satan used them to attack Christ's body with a lie. And God exposed that lie with the truth. And God defended his witness. And not only by exposing the lies, but God defends his witness by using the truth to answer the tests. He goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. 
Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. When I was growing up in uh, New England, wintertime was a time that was really cold. And often we would have frozen ponds and streams that were great for recreation. But you learn early on, it is ingrained in you. You always test the ice before you go out on it. So the way we would do it, if you grew up in cold climates, you've probably done it too. You walk out on the very edge where the ice is thin and you stand there and you wait to see if it cracks under your weight. If it cracks, you know. The ice is not thick enough out there. You, you can't go any further. If you stand on the edge where the ice is thin and it's holding you, that means it's pretty f solidly frozen. So you can go out a little further and test it some more. And if it doesn't crack or bounce in the shallows, you can take another step. And you can go out and test it again. And you can take another step. And then pretty soon you can jump up and down on it. If it's not moving and it's not cracking, you can be pretty sure the ice is thick enough to walk or skate on. You test it because you don't trust it. You test it because you're not sure how much the ice can take before it gives way before something happens. People, that's the same reason that people test God. Because they don't know him. They don't trust him. And they're trying to see how much God will take before he acts. How much they can get away with. That's what Sapphira was doing when she decided to perpetrate her husband's lie, she was testing God. Peter said in verse 7, about three hours, or Luke said in verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? The word for test there is to tempt. It's the idea of how could you think you could tempt God to prove himself by testing him with a lie you're perpetuating with your husband? How far did you and your husband think you could go lying like this and get away with it? You're testing God. You're trying to see how far you could go before there'd be consequences, before you'd be found out. How could you do this, Peter asked her. Do you think that God was not aware when you and your husband were hatching this plan? Did you think he's not aware of everything you think, do, and say? Are you thinking that somehow God was caught by surprise or would be fooled by what you are doing? Whatever caused you to conspire to do this and think you could test God and when you've tested God, here's his answer. Peter said to her, verse 9, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. When people test God, they're going to find out he answers every test. Maybe not immediately like this, but he answers it. You cannot test God 
and win. Testing God is deliberately disobeying God or entering into sin, believing either he isn't there or he won't take it seriously or he won't do anything about it. I remember when I was at Multnomah training for ministry, I was in a pastoral theology class led by uh, Joe Aldridge, who was president of the university at the time, president of the college. He had been a pastor himself. He had seen a lot of guys fall in ministry, and he's got a room full of guys that think they're called to go in, out to be pastors of churches and lead in missions and other places. And i never forget this conversation he had. He said, guys, I want you to know something today, that anyone who decides they're going to live for God like this, anyone who wants to be used by God to declare his word, anyone who's going to get up and lead people and have influence over them, you need to understand Satan has put a target on your back. You are in his crosshairs, and he is searching already for a way to take you out. And he is a master manipulator and a master deceiver. And he will work relentlessly to get you to compromise in the smallest way so he can begin to destroy your witness. With a woman, with money, with possessions, with power, he'll find a way. He will come after you. And when he does this, you need to understand that one of the ways he gets so many guys to fall for this is he takes a little area of compromise in the truth and he begins to get you to believe that you can get away with this, that nobody's going to know, or you deserve this, or it isn't that big a deal, or you'll only go so far, or it's not really going to hurt anything. You see, he said, Satan always lets you see what is perceived as the benefit of what he's trying to get you to do, but he'll never show you the consequence. He'll never show you when you have to come home and tell your wife what you did or to tell your kids why you're leaving. He'll never show you what it's like to stand in front of your church and all those people who trusted you that you have violated that trust. He'll never show you all of that. So you always need to live in the truth, he said. And you cannot compromise. And you need to realize you cannot test God and win. Great advice. Sapphira was given a chance by Peter to come clean and tell the truth, and she didn't do it. You see it? Sapphira, was this the price you and Ananias sold the property for? All she would have had to say was, you know, it's not exactly right. No, we, we actually sold it for more than that. But we kept some back. That's all she would have had to do is tell the truth. But she didn't. She tested God. She thought she could get away with it. Nobody would know. She put God to the test and he answered. People, there are times when God tells us to test him. And it's perfectly right to do it. There are times when God commands us something and he says, if you'll do this, then this will be the blessing. So test me in this because I want you to have the blessing. So step out by faith and do what I just told you to do. You remember in the Old Testament, 
in Malachi chapter 3 when God was talking to the people about how to return to God and he said, one of the reasons you're drifting away from me is that you are not giving like you're supposed to, you're not tithing, and because you're not tithing, you think all this is yours and your, life's are out, your lives are out of whack and you're not living by my priorities and so you're going further and further away. If you want to return, you need to start giving again so you realize everything belongs to God. And he told them this in Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, said the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and put out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. I'm telling you, Come back to me by bringing the tithe into the storehouse. Give me what I've commanded you to do, and you're going to see how you're going to be blessed. So go do it. Test me in this. You'll see it's right. It's never wrong to test God when he tells you to go do something, and we step out by faith and obedience to do it, because he's telling us to do it. But testing God with willful sin, deception, or disobedience to see how far you can go before there are consequences Thinking you can get away with something will only lead to judgment. That's why Jesus, you remember, in the face of his wilderness temptations? You talk about a temptation in Matthew 4, you remember? Satan is using scripture twisted to get Jesus to act independently of God in simple things. Eat some bread. Worship me just this once. Go to the temple and throw yourself down. God said the angels will support you. Everyone will see that you are God. And I'll give you all this. You can have all of this honor and all of this glory that I'm offering you, and you don't even have to go to the cross. And by the way, God said the angels will support you, so let's do it. Remember what Jesus said to him? We don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What was the result of this swift and decisive judgment when Ananias and Sapphira fell dead at the feet of Peter? Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Great fear, great respect for God, for his word, and his people. And God used that to have his people held in high regard and their witness to be leading more people to Jesus. Luke went on to say people were a little reluctant to come up and join the crowd at, the, at Solomon's colonnade because they realized, whoa, man, you want to go in there and try to pull a fast one. You ain't coming out alive. These people are in the presence of God. But so powerful was their witness that it says people were still being added. Day by day, they were being saved out in the streets and the surrounding communities, so much so that the fame of Jesus and the name of Jesus and the names of Peter and the apostles in the early church were so powerful and held in high regard, people are bringing their sick and laying them in the streets, hoping when Peter walks by, at least his shadow might pass over them. That's how high esteem they were held. As we're going to see... That uh, tweaked the noses of the religious leaders and organized persecution is going to begin.
but right now they're held in high esteem. And God used this judgment to expand the gospel and spread the word. God is holy. He is just. He is truth. That's why you don't ever want to compromise in these areas. Not even a little bit. Because Satan will find it and he'll bring it down. I was reading this week the account of United Air Flight 232 from Denver to Chicago, July 19th, 1989. It was a DC-10. If you were around then, you might remember it. A fan disc in the DC-10's rear engine exploded, severing all three hydraulic lines to the tail. A very improbable event. They said it was like a billion to one chance this could ever happen this way, but it did. And with all of those hydraulic lines severed, they had no control of the tail. And it said with no control of that, all 300 people on board were doomed. Now, due to some pretty amazing skill and the grace of God, uh, 188 of the 300 passengers survived the crash. To this day, it's God's grace that allowed that. But what brought that plane down? What made that fan disk explode in that engine? There was a titanium ingot as part of the fan disk. And they discovered that inside that titanium ingot, a little piece, there was a nitrogen bubble that never fully dissolved when that piece was made. And it created a weakness in that ingot. Now, it took 18 years, 15,503 takeoffs and landings before the weakness in that titanium ingot worked itself to the surface. And when it did, the fan disk exploded, severing those lines, and the plane was doomed. A nitrogen bubble that went undetected. People, you and I cannot afford to allow sin of any kind to stay in our lives. Because sin in a Christian's life is like a nitrogen bubble. It's just a matter of time until it's going to spread, till it weakens everything and brings down your life, brings down your marriage, or is used by Satan to bring down a church. So God said, you live in the truth. God brought judgment because a lie was threatening his witness. It was threatening the unity and the vibrancy of the church. You don't ever want to be someone that Satan's going to try to use to bring down any relationship. But you certainly don't want to ever be one who Satan's going to use to bring down his church. So God uses the truth to expose the lie, and he uses the truth to answer the test. God was using power and possessions to advance the truth. Satan tried to use power and possessions to stop the truth. Satan lost Truth won. It always does. It always will. And the witness was magnified. <laughs>